You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. How are we doing? Everyone all right? So if I haven't met you, my name's Rich and I come to the church here. Um, we're going to spend just a few minutes looking through a passage from the Bible today. It's something that we love to do every week. And uh, to start with, I um, was watching the other day the build-up to the World Cup. Who's into the World Cup? World Cup final tonight, looking forward to that. Um, so England were training. Now, we know that did no good whatsoever. <laughs> when I still cared about what England were doing, I was watching their training. And uh, I found it on Twitter, I don't know if you're on Twitter, lots of the England players were posting a video of something that they'd done, like a practical joke that they'd pulled. And uh, so they, it was their team masseur, it was his birthday. And so what they thought would be a really funny idea, you might have seen this already, was um, to get a chair, a bit like the chairs that you're sitting on, to get some gaffer tape and to gaffer tape their physio, the masseur, to the chair and pick him up. And so in this video, you've got Joe Hart, if you know him, and Stephen Gerrard walking towards a very large ice bar, similar dimensions to this, and picking their physio up and throwing him in. And he's completely strapped down. He can't do anything about it. They pull him back out, and he looks really, really unhappy with them. He doesn't seem to have found it funny at all. Since then, I've been thinking, well, actually, I'm speaking at an event where there's a very large very similar shaped pool of water. Everyone's going to be sitting on a chair. I wonder if it's anyone's birthday and we'll do an equivalent. So Steve at the back has got some gaffer tape. <laughs> ben, where's Ben? Ben's got some gaffer tape as well. Steve, it's okay. You can, you can, I'm only joking. You can put your gaffer tape down. See, I told Steve about this earlier on. He was so excited. He, just re- he doesn't want this to be a practical joke. He wants us to do this now. So thank you very much, Steve. Don't worry about it. You might think, oh, sorry, Steve. You might think, okay, well, there's a massive thing of water at the front. Rich is going to be saying something from the Bible. Maybe he's going to be talking about walking on water. Maybe he's going to try and demonstrate walking on water. Let me reassure you, I'm not going to do that today. I think I would end up being the first person in the pool. Um, Maybe water into wine. Maybe there's a a hope in you that I might turn this massive vat of water into (laughs) wine. Hey, this service could kick off if we had this much wine. But no, I'm not going to be speaking on that. I am going to be speaking on something to do with water, though. Um, there's water, as I've, as I've said, all the way through the Bible. The Bible uses this kind of metaphor, um, this riff, if you like, quite often, to do with this word, thirst. Now, we know that, well, we obviously have a natural kind of inevitable thirst for water. But the Bible uses it as a bit of a kind of a window into our hearts and says, we also have a thirst in life for something else. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today, this key word, thirst. Now, I want you to imagine we're all in this lovely hall. The windows are closed, the doors are closed, and there's some kind of emergency. We're stuck in here. The doors are locked. We can't get out of the kitchen. We're just in here. After a few hours, we'd start to realize we don't have much water, apart from all of this water in here. Now, I don't know whether this is clean or not. I don't know who's already been in here. Certainly, once the people have been baptized, I'm not sure how clean it would be. But you'd start to realize, oh, I'm really thirsty. I've got like a natural, inevitable thirst. I need it to be quenched. So maybe we'd come and we'd start to get, I don't know how clean this is, or if I'm going to make this dirty, start to get a bit of water, and maybe we'd have a drink. After a few hours, inevitably, we'd get thirsty again. And that's just the way that life works, isn't it? We need water, we need that to sustain us. Well, the Bible says that In a similar way, there's an inevitable thirst, a natural, universal thirst that everyone has. A thirst, if you like, in our hearts, a thirst, if you like, in our guts. I am wired, I just know this to be true, 
to thirst. You could say maybe to long or to desire for significance, for security. Those are things that I will always want for happiness. You know, I want to be happy. That's just wired into who I am. Um, Fulfillment. I want to be fulfilled. I've got a thirst or a longing for that. Everybody does. Also for acceptance and I guess for hope, something to hope for. And the Bible kind of used this metaphor, and we're going to see a passage in a second where Jesus talks about all of us have an inevitable thirst for those things. We're going to check out a passage and what Jesus says. It's Jesus who's speaking in this passage we're looking at. What he says the solution, I guess, is to have that thirst quenched. Not a physical thirst, but this deep core thirst that we all have for significance, for security, for hope, for happiness, and for fulfillment. So this is in a a book called John. Jesus is speaking to a lady at a well. So I guess something similar situation to this. There's a whole load of water around. Jesus wants to use the situation to kind of do a little story, give a little lesson. And uh, we're going to see what he says. So Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And Jesus said to her, the key thing here, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So standing next to a well, imagine me here standing next to all this water. Anybody who has a sip out of, you know, who knows if this is nice water, but everyone who has a sip out of this water, inevitably they're going to be thirsty again. But then Jesus kind of switches it and starts to use it as a metaphor and says, but everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And this woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. If you've got a Bible, I don't know, maybe you flick through the pages of the accounts of Jesus' life on earth, you'll see that he just loves to use a little situation like this, a woman at a well, some water there, to kind of teach a story, to use it as a metaphor, to tell us something about the nature of our lives, to tell us something about the nature of God, to tell us something about the nature of God's relationship with us. He's just like, hey, I'm next to some water. Let's use this as a bit of a metaphor. I guess the question is, what is Jesus even saying? In this one, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. What does Jesus mean? What's the point of him using this as a metaphor? Well, Jesus is saying that there is a way to have your inevitable human thirst, a thirst for significance, a thirst for security, a thirst for hope, for happiness, for meaning in life, permanently quenched, completely, comprehensively resolved by knowing Jesus. And as we read through the rest of the New Testament, we'll find that not just by knowing Jesus, but by having Jesus at the center of our lives. That's what he's saying here. In a similar way to, if we were in this room for hours and hours, we'll need a drink. We need something. And he's saying, actually, Jesus himself is the solution. An author called Blaise Pascal said about 400 years ago, but I think it's still true today. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. I guess a God-shaped hole. It can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. And I guess Blaise Pascal is saying, yeah, 
You can't ever really be satisfied unless you drink of God, unless you're satisfied in him. Jesus says elsewhere, if you believe in me, you won't ever thirst. You can be temporarily quenched by finding satisfaction in other places. But actually, you'll only be truly quenched of your deep longing, your deep thirst, on a soul, maybe you could say a spiritual level, when you believe in Jesus. These quotes are for a little bit later, so maybe we'll go back to the last slide. Okay, so I just want to look a little bit at what Jesus is saying, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my story. I guess it's more interesting for you to hear me talk about my story or to hear about the stories that we will later of people who are getting baptized than me just to rant on about what the Bible says. But hopefully you'll see that in my story, some of these thirsts that I've got have been satisfied in God. If you like, I mean, I guess the people standing here today being baptized, and maybe lots of us in the room, really what they're saying is, I have found that Jesus satisfies me. I have found that my deep thirst for significance, for security, for fulfillment, for happiness, for hope, is found in Jesus. And although career, money, possessions, success, relationships, my status, and other people's opinions of me, I guess you could categorize those as created things, can temporarily, or maybe partly, quench my deep thirst in life. A bit like if we were to come and drink a little bit of water, but then a few hours later be thirsty again. Although they can temporarily help, the lasting, permanent satisfaction I've found in life is in Jesus, is found in God. And you know, these people standing here giving their testimony, in a way, that's what they're saying. So I've found that to be true. Um, I moved to London a couple years ago uh, with my wife, Kezia, who I'm going to just keep embarrassing by calling her my wife, Kezia, and pointing at her. I moved here to London, um, and I started working at a company called Deloitte. And Deloitte's a big company, one of the biggest out there. And uh, working at Deloitte, going to the big offices, you can feel, wow, I've kind of made it. Now, I'm very junior in the company, so I really haven't kind of made it. <coughs> And if anybody from my company listens to this talk, they'll be like, he has not made it. <laughs> but in some ways, it's the most significant kind of career move I've ever made. It's the most significance I've ever felt as a result of my job. I need significance in my life. I'm just, as I say, wired that way. I want to be significant. I don't think that's wrong. I think we all naturally feel that. It would be easy for me to say, therefore, that the better job I have, the more significance I have. The further up I get in the promotional ladder, the more significant I am. And that's going to give me confidence in life. That's going to quench my thirst for significance. That's a temptation, and it's easy to feel that way. But actually, it's a bit like a quick drink that's only going to temporarily help. Because, as I've already said, I'm really not that significant in my company. You know, if I make the next promotion, I'll be more significant. But that'll only be temporary. Because there's another promotion, then there's another promotion, there's another promotion, and then there are people who are much higher up in other companies. And I'm never really going to get my significance fully quenched, if you think of it like a thirst, by my job. So I have found, actually, that when I became a Christian, Jesus says in the Bible, and from my relationship with him, actually I found that he says, you're in my family now. You're accepted. I accept you. And that gives me significance, thinking that I'm part of that amazing family, that God has accepted me. Jesus says, all right, you don't need to find your significance from your job or from your career, from career progression. 
It can just be a job. In fact, if you lose your job, Rich, it's okay. Your significance isn't all about your own job, your own career progression. Does that make some sense? So in my life, I've just found that to be true. Hey, believe me or not, maybe you want to ask one of the people who's getting baptized. Maybe you're a friend or a family member of one of the people who's going to stand here and get in this lovely cold water later on. Maybe you want to ask them, well, what gives you significance? And maybe they'll tell you it's Jesus. Statistically, I mean, I don't know all the numbers. The person who knows all the numbers is Edward. Edward works for Tier Fund. He knows absolutely every kind of statistic about poverty in the world. But statistically, me and Kez, you know, we've got a roof over our head and we've got some money in the bank. Any money at all in the bank and a roof over your head makes you pretty much well off globally, doesn't it? You know, we're all very, very privileged. Now, it'd be easy for me to get my security from money or possessions. And that's just the way we're wired. We want security, don't we? Part of the reason some people get married is, oh, I want to be secure. I want to know I'm secure. Money. Hey, the more money you get, the more secure you are, aren't you? What if everything else falls apart? I've still got money. That'll give me security. That's a, a genuine, natural thirst we all have for security. But actually, in a similar way, you might come and drink. You've got a bit of money. But it's only a temporary solution. It's never going to fully allow you to be quenched of your need for security in life. And I found that to be true. Hey, if I've got a little bit of money, I could do with a little bit more money. If I've got a little bit of possessions, hey, I've got a nice few things, hey, I could do with a lot more. Someone else has got more money. Someone else has got a bigger house. Hey, they look more secure than me. They've paid off their mortgage. It's never truly possible, I found in my experience, to have your thirst, your need, your longing for security satisfied truly, permanently in stuff in money, in your wallet, in your credit card, in your house. My experience is that instead, Jesus has given me security. It's my relationship with Jesus. It's the fact that I know God that means that I know he's got my back. He's got an amazing track record of looking after me. I'd love to tell you stories about how he's looked after me, but this is only going to be a short talk. Maybe you could ask somebody that you, that you came with. My security... You know, if I lost all my money on possessions, I'd still have security in who I am in God, who Jesus says I am. The fact that he's always going to have my back. He answers my prayers. He's never let me down. And he says that he won't. And that gives me a security on a deeper level than money could ever provide. Finally, as a little example in my life, um, I'm married. I said I'm going to keep embarrassing Kezia. I'm married to this beautiful woman, Kezia. I love being married. You know, as a kid, I just always wanted to be married. I always wanted to grow up and have a family. And you know, you know, being married, and I've got friends, some of you might say you're my friends, maybe you wouldn't on the microphone, but you know, I hope that some of you are my friends. I should be happy, shouldn't I? Shouldn't being married and having lots of friends and those people maybe thinking good things about me give me all the happiness I need in life? And we know that, actually, we're not always happy. Sometimes on a deep level, especially I found before, you know, without God, I know that I wouldn't have my real thirst quenched for happiness by people in relationships. Because, hey, what if people's opinion of me changes? What if I move and I lose those friends? I've only got a temporary thirst quenched, haven't I? It's only a temporary solution. But in Jesus, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new joy. I'll give you happiness. I'll give you a whole new outlook on life, a whole different, deeper joy. And that's true I've found in my life. Okay, that is plenty of me talking about me. You're probably bored of me now. So, Here's another way of looking at it. We might find in life 
I'm not going to use this as a metaphor to lock somebody up. We might find in life that we're always thinking, if I got more money, or if I get X amount of money, or if I get the best house, or if I finally find that relationship that I need, or if I finally get the promotion I've always been waiting for, I will be secure. I'll be significant. I'll be happy. I'll have hope in my life. I'll be fulfilled. And at last, everything will lock together. It's like if I can get all these little pieces, all these little jigsaw pieces together, then on that day, I will be happy. Well, what Jesus says is, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. It won't be like you're always saying one day. One day I'll be happy. One day I'll have enough. One day I'll be satisfied. I'll be fulfilled. Instead, Jesus is saying right now, today, can be that one day. You can live your life, and I find in that I'm able to live my life because of what God has done for me. Not thinking, if I get, if I don't lose, if I manage to keep, if I manage to get more of, I'll be happy. I'll be no longer thirsty. Instead, on a deeper level, I've able to, been able to find that Jesus is my satisfaction. Money, sex, power, promotion, success, marriage, children, house, beauty, pleasure, comfort, sport, peace. It's possible for us to look for other things to quench our thirst in life. Jesus says, the water that I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. Christians for centuries and centuries have found that their personal relationship with Jesus means that things, a little bit like with that lock, just click. You've got meaning. Okay, a couple of quotes because you've obviously heard enough of my voice. I think that's fair to say. Bernard Levine used to be uh, thought of, said by the Times as the most significant journalist of his generation, died a few years ago, said, he's not a Christian, he's not a Christian, he doesn't agree with me or my belief system. He says, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them and that however much food and drink they pour in, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. This guy's not a Christian. He's saying you can get loads of stuff in life, but there's always going to be an ache for more. Jesus says he's the solution to that. Uh, Bernard Langer. This is, I was saying to Kezia earlier, unusually I found two quotes. Both guys called Bernard. Both their surnames begin with L. Please believe me, I didn't just go through a quote book and find one. I'm like, oh, this next one looks good. That's not what happened here. I did actually try and find this guy. He's a golfer, a German golfer. He was number one in the world. Uh, He tells the story um, that he wasn't a Christian and he'd won the Masters. He got to the peak of his career. He got all the success. He'd reached his one day and he was married. He was driving home in his sports car to the Hilton Hotel with his beautiful wife. And he says this, I felt empty. I had achieved everything I could ever dream of. But the problem was something was missing. Bernard Langer actually became a Christian. He found Jesus. He found and says now that the security, significance, hope, happiness, and fulfillment in his life is in Jesus, is in God. We were made to be satisfied in God. Now, you may have been told, and uh, you know Christians will often say this, that Christianity is all about you being forgiven of the things you've done wrong. I guess most of us have heard that at some point. Or maybe you think Christianity is about 
doing good things. You know, the people getting baptized today, they're good people. They've done more good things. Well, actually, another way to describe Christianity, another thing that Jesus says is key, is that it's the creator God knowing that his creation, his people, people on earth will never truly be satisfied, will never have their thirst quenched without him, without relationship with Jesus, without Jesus being the center of his life, of their lives. The creator God wanting us to come to that full satisfaction. In some ways, that's what's happened in Christianity. That's what's going on. God wants us to be satisfied in him. And he knows anything else in the world will never fully satisfy us. And he wants that for us. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. Okay, so just to end, um, a couple of questions. You might feel like, uh, your first response when I'm kind of going on about this stuff is, well, is it possible for me to know that satisfaction? It's all very well you talking about Christians, but is it possible for me to know that deep, true satisfaction? Back in the story, the woman at the well, the story ends with her saying, or the part that we read out ends with her saying, can I have a drink? Can I have some? Christians aren't better people. The people getting baptized today aren't more holy people. They're not people who deserve it more. They're not people who have done enough to find a secret ingredient to make their life click. Instead, these guys, and this is true of me as well, we're just standing saying at some point in our life, we've asked. We've said, God, I want you to be my satisfaction. We've put Jesus, if you like, at the center of our lives and found that everything else around it, everything else revolving around our lives clicks because we've got Jesus at the core, at the center. So today, if you want to, you could ask. You don't need to be perfect. You don't really need to have your whole life together. That's not the story. Okay, the other thing is you might think, well, you know, Jesus is prescribing this solution of, G- of God being the satisfaction, but I'm not sure I see the world that way. Interestingly, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia book, says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, something supernatural, something eternal. So what I'd ask of you today is, hey, do you feel like you were made for something else? Do you feel like there's a thirst or a desire in your life that you can't get satisfied at the moment? Maybe that in itself is evidence that Jesus' diagnosis is right. And finally, you might think, I'm not sure about any of this. This has been a very short talk. I don't really understand much of what's going on, but I'd like to know a little bit more about Jesus. Well, we've got these little books called Why Jesus, red books that on the way out, if you walk past Steve with his gaffer tape. I mean, I warn you, Steve was very excited about that, so (laughs) maybe walk around, Steve. Um, There are some of these booklets which just have got some more information about Jesus. If you'd like to know more about the satisfaction that's found in God, this is the book for you. They're free. You can take one. You can take ten. On your way out, grab one of those. Or maybe just ask the person that you came with. Somebody who's getting baptized today will be standing and saying, I found my satisfaction in Jesus. Nothing else is enough for me, but he is enough. Maybe you just want to ask them about that and if that's even true for them. Thank you very much for listening. I realize it might be out of the ordinary to sit and listen to the Bible. And now, over to the main event, the baptisms.